When I was in my early 20s, I had a small group of friends, there were three of them to be exact, who had decided that it was high time us girls had an adventure in the back country of the Olympic Peninsula. We decided to go backpacking for five days. And while I had grown up camping, spending time with all of my stuff in the back country was not something I had ever done before. And as a good group of girls would do, we needed to go shopping to figure out how to get all of the details and materials we needed for this trip. So we went to our local sporting goods store and piled headlamps and lanterns and sleeping bags and sleeping pads and gear that to this day, I kid you not, I don't know still what it does, but we bought it. And we went into the Olympic Mountains with it. We boarded a plane, we flew across the country, and my three friends and myself landed ourselves at the feet of one of my friend's brothers, a guy named Ed. Ed was charged with the task of taking his sister and her friends into the backcountry. And Ed was completely irritated that he had been chosen for this adventure. <laughs> he wanted very little to do with our chit-chat and our clumsiness in the backcountry. Ed was a very accomplished mountaineer. He was sort of a scruffy, standoffish guy who knew more about camping and more about the wilderness than I will probably ever know. And as we spent time together sitting in a circle around a campfire, or actually we didn't have a campfire, around a camp circle for, for those five days, we learned a lot from Ed. Ed didn't want to say too much to us. He was, as I said, sort of annoyed that he had been charged with this task. But there was a marked difference between the way Ed spent his time in that backcountry and the way we did. While we sat around in a circle with all of this gear and these lights and diet sodas that we had packed into the backcountry with us and M&Ms and pasta sauce and marinara and a campsite that could rival many of our home kitchens, Ed sat off to the side, a plastic mug in one hand, a spoon in the other, and drank and ate and did everything that weekend with those two utensils that he, that he had. And I remember watching as he, as he, as he slept on a tarp, under, uh, slept on a, a sleeping pad under a tarp, and he didn't have all the stuff that we had. And I asked him, I said, Ed, I said, how is it you come to the backcountry with pretty much a duffel bag, and we come here with these big bags of gear? What is different? And he said, you know, I practice something called leave no trace camping. And if any of you have ever spent time in the backcountry, you will have heard this phrase. And it's summed up simply this way. When you show up somewhere, leave the place you are as good as it was when you got there, if not better than it was when you arrived. And as a person of faith, that statement stayed in my heart for years. What does it look like as a follower of Jesus, as a community of faith, to have been born onto this planet with a mindset that I believe mirrors that of Jesus? How can we make this place better than it was when we got here? So with that in mind, I'd like to dive into a few of the details that we find in Genesis chapter 12 today. Genesis chapter 12 is the story of Abram and Sarai. We know them as Abraham and Sarah. 
And many times when a conversation about caring for God's creation comes to a community of faith, we start with the book of Genesis when we discuss it. And we start usually in the Garden of Eden, because it is there in the Garden of Eden that we see all that is good and and beautiful and perfect. But as Christians, we often stop there. We often pause the conversation, so much so that when we get to a place like we are today, talking about this topic in church, some of us might be inclined to even say, ooh, isn't this sort of a politically charged agenda? Something that's a little trendy today? What are we doing going green at church? Others of us will say that we've seen the green conversation emerge all over our communities in our culture. And we may wonder, what does the church have to say about it? Well, the church has a lot to say about it. And we start in the book of Genesis, chapter 1. And we see that God created the world and that it was good. But we see quickly the tailspin as well. That Adam and Eve fell, and after that, it was murder and mayhem. The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are dark, and they paint a very ugly picture of humanity. The scriptures in Genesis chapter 6 read this, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. This is where we land after the creation story. And most Bible scholars will agree that by the time we get to our text today, which is chapter 12, that God is set about doing a new thing. He takes Abraham and Sarah. He takes two people, two landless, childless people, and he sets them on a course to empower and encourage and bless the rest of human history. God says to Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to give you three promises. There are three promises that we find from God to the people of God in this text today. The first is the promise of land. God says, I am going to give you land. And then he says, I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to make you a great nation, a great community of people. And then he says, I'm going to allow that community, the third thing, to be a blessing to others. To be carriers of the message of redemption and community to the people of the world. Three promises. Interestingly, these promises are inextricably linked to one another. Walter Brueggemann says this, There can be no fulfillment of the promise of land without fulfilling the promise of an heir. And the promise of an heir is always dependent upon the land. The two are intertwined and they are inseparable. And the way the land and the people of this world interact with one another is how we reach the third part of that promise, which is where God says, you will be a blessing. You will be ones who bless other people. Those two, the land and the people, inform the third promise, the ability to bless others. Now, all this chit-chat about land can seem sort of otherworldly in some ways. We live in a world 
that is very urbanized. 80% of the people in the United States live in in urban or semi-urban areas. Most of us, our connection to the land may come from a community park or our back deck. We look over the back deck and there's your backyard. There's your plot of land. Most of us don't find ourselves inspired to connect to the stories of scripture because we've had some time gazing at our backyard. But the reality is that we are called to connect to the land and understand how our use of the land and how the promises that God gives us inform our lives. Because when we're separated from the land, we're separated from our impact on the land. You know, all of us that have a cell phone with us, if you wanted to, could find out the prediction of the weather for the next week by simply Googling it on your phone. You don't actually have to go outside to know what the weather's going to be. And if you want to see someplace in the world, you can just find yourself on Google Earth. You can, you can Google the, the elevation of whatever mountain peak you want to know, but you never have to actually go there to know something about it. We are separated from the land, which means we are also separated from our impact upon the land. And our impact upon the land has reached a point in human history where we need to begin to be aware of what we're doing. Not because it's trendy, not because it's politically savvy or politically unacceptable, but because it matters to God and because it's a transformational principle of our faith. Billy Graham once said that the growing possibility of destroying ourselves and the world with our own neglect and excess, is very tragic and very real. Billy Graham said this in the mid-80s. How much more true is it today? Barbara Kingsolver, an author, once pointed out that the conspicuous consumption of limited resources has yet to be accepted widely as spiritual error or even as bad manners. And the way we separate ourselves from the land... And the way we separate ourselves from the impact on the land has prohibited us from becoming the world changers that God has called us to be. You know, I get separated from the land because I live in a community where I'm done with my trash. I I throw it out to the curb and somebody whisks it away and I, I don't have to see my impact on the world. In the United States, we pour $57 billion a year into the waste hauling and garbage industry. That is more than the gross domestic product of 125 nations. That's a lot. Every year, there's an event called the Great American Cleanup. It's a nationwide cleanup event. It lasts about two months And it employs three million volunteers who set about picking up the trash they find from the byways and the highways and the parks of this country. In 2009, this organization collected 64 million pounds of debris, 14 million pounds of aluminum and steel, and 243 million plastic bottles from our parks and our streams and our roadsides. In the United States, we currently toss 60 million plastic beverage bottles into a landfill each and every day. The impact of our consumer lives and of our waste stream and our attitude toward our stuff 
has a dramatic impact on creation itself. And here's the thing. We sit in church, and with good hearts, we want to evangelize. We want to tell the world about Jesus. We want people to hear God's message to them. But when we, when we refuse to care for the world he gave us, we thwart our own efforts at doing that. We thwart our own efforts at evangelism. How many of you, either yourselves or a person that you know, maybe a child in your family, or a cousin or somebody, were moved to a faith in Jesus because of something you experienced at a summer camp, at a retreat experience, or because you stood at the shores of the ocean and felt the waves tickle your feet. And you knew at that moment there was something other than you that mattered in this world. It was your connection to the holy. It was your opportunity to understand more deeply the heart of God. And when we look at preserving and caring for those places, what we're doing is providing future generations with the opportunity to have those same experiences. And the mounting piles of trash around the world, the resources that are removed from other parts of the world to fuel our lifestyles are ruining our witness. It robs us of the opportunity to witness to others through creation. It robs other people of the opportunity to have a life that connects to creation. The United States is roughly 5% of the global population, yet we both consume and expel about 25% of the world's resources and waste. I once saw an article, an image in an article, that talked about electronic waste in Ghana, in East Africa. And there were piles of our computers and cell phones. And there were eight-year-old boys from Ghana who were dismantling those computers and stripping the copper wire out so they might exchange it for financial gain. But what they did with all of our computers when they were done is they lit them in fire and stood in smoldering piles of lead and cadmium and plastic. And the boxes that were displayed in the background had the names of school districts and major American cities printed on them. All that stuff was shipped over there. It's an interesting juxtaposition. And we join the community of faith and we say, I love God. I want to do what God wants me to do in this world. And yet we often rob ourselves of the opportunities to truly be world changers because we are disconnected from our impact on the land. This story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 12 is the story of God's promise. It is the story that says, if you can connect to the land, you will be a great nation of people. You will be the people of God who change the world. And you cannot do so without caring for the very creation that God gave you. It is what allows us to be that blessing. A couple years ago, Dan preached a sermon on the Ten Commandments. And as I listened to him, I had the audacity to think that I had a lot of them figured out. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not tempted by this. I'm not tempted by that. I don't know if any of you have ever done that. But we got to Uh, the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. And Dan explained the eighth commandment as simply taking more than our share 
of the resources. And I usually limit that to grand theft auto and shoplifting, so I skip over it. But thou shalt not steal. That is me and my lifestyle taking from the future and the present. It is me robbing people today and tomorrow of what they need. There was research that came out a couple years ago suggested that if everybody on the planet lived the exact same lifestyle as the average American, that it would take the resources of six planet Earths to sustain that life. That's me taking from other people. Now, it would be really easy for me to leave us here in the doom and gloom of ecological statistics. Many people understandably write off this entire conversation because it's depressing, frankly. And a pile of statistics can only go so far. The good news in this conversation is the good news of the world. It is that we worship and serve a God who would love to see those statistics change. That we worship a God who loves the boys in Ghana as much as he does the boys in the Chicago public schools. He loves us. He wants us to, cre- to, to care for his creation, to connect to this planet, and to understand the promises that he made Abraham. Because those promises are our promises. I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing to others. When we miss the opportunity to care for God's creation, we miss the opportunity to bless others. Genesis, we read that Adam was made from the dust of the earth. That God himself created creation out of nothing, but he made Adam from the dust of the earth. We are made from the earth. We have an inextricable link to the planet. Even in our tech-savvy, separated, suburban, urban worlds, we must recapture our connection to the land. Not because it's trendy, not because it's politically charged, but because it's transformational to our souls and to the people we love and the people we've never met to do so. That is the call of God to us when it comes to caring for his creation. A couple years ago, on a Christmas, I received a gift from a friend. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but have you ever had a person so excited to give you a gift that they couldn't wait for long enough into the party until it was the appropriate gift opening time? The minute you walk in the door, they say, here you go. I've got something for you. Open it now. Sort of on the edge of their seat, wanting you to see what they gave you. And this friend rushed me at the door when I walked into a party, and she said, here you go, here you go. I want you to open this. And I did. And I opened it, and it was the strangest-looking necklace that I had ever seen in my entire life. And I confessed to thinking to myself, I hope there's a gift receipt with this. (laughs) I will also confess to thinking to myself when I flipped it over and saw there was not a gift receipt that I hoped maybe I could re-gift it someday. (laughs) And I thought better of that. I thought, well, what if somebody else, what if she sees it on somebody else? (laughs) And I shoved it into the back of the drawer, the jewelry drawer in my bedroom, and I forgot about it. 
gathered a little bit of dust. And a couple weeks ago, my daughter, who's two and a half years old, was um, exploiting my jewelry drawer, and she found the necklace and dragged it out. She promptly snapped the chain on it, and then she said, put it on me, Mommy. So I put it on her neck, and I tied the chain behind it, and I watched her twirl around my room wearing this necklace. And I thought, shame on me for not pulling that out sooner, for not wearing that, for not displaying proudly and taking care of the gift that I had received from someone who loved me so deeply. And to see that necklace and then to see my daughter enjoy it brought me great joy. That is the story of God's gift to the planet for us. He created this world and he said, wow, I hope you love my sunsets. I hope you can see my snow-capped peaks. I hope that you can see the flowers of the field. He says, I love you. This is my gift for you. Treat it well. Tie it around your children's necks and dance with it. It is the glory of God to be found and to touch our souls with. May you find yourselves caring for God's creation because it is his love for you and his experience he and the experience he has for you to do so and there is no greater way to bless others than to care for the blessings that we've been given name of the lord be praised amen